0: to the Quarter to Three Games podcast for the, I don't know, third week in November, the pre-U.S. Thanksgiving week. Uh, I have a very special guest tonight. I'm very excited. Um, I've been a big fan of this person's work for quite a while. You uh, would have read his stuff when he was the reviews editor at Destructoid. You would have read his stuff when he was the reviews editor at The Escapist. And undoubtedly, you have seen his very popular... Uh, series of Jimquisition videos, as well as his movie Defense Force and his other uh, Let's Plays and uh, assorted media properties. Uh, So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm quarter to three welcome. Thank God for him, uh, Mr. Jim Starling. That's
1: that's a minute's worth of intro I don't deserve. Um, Oh, nice. I've I've done a few podcasts here and there, and whenever it starts with um, very special guest and... I'm excited. I, I, I'm like, oh, oh, my dear friend, <laughs> you have no idea the, the prepare to be disappointed. yeah the hour of 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 a, a slow dying letdown
0: that's due oh that's to not you. true. I've read I've I've listened to podcasts with you on it before. So you've had a very busy week. So it was it it was Saturday last Saturday the fifteenth? You announced that. Um, you are no longer working um, at The Escapist as reviews editor, and that you were um, taking to uh, Patreon uh, in order to fund uh, Jimquisition, not just as a video series, as you've you've been doing at The Escapist, but also uh, as potentially um, uh, a website. Uh, So this has been a very, I have to say, it must be a slightly nerve-wracking week for you.
1: Uh, It's starting to simmer down, the the panic. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think it was actually Friday that I... Oh, okay. That, that I set it up. Um, yeah, uh, that night was was terrifying. I mean, I was I was nervous all Friday because uh, I had to wait to get some legal ducks in a row and 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 everything, Um negotiating with uh, the escapists and, and stuff about the the um, all the fine print details about getting Jim Jimquisition hosted on my own terms. Uh, and so waiting for that to happen, it was kind of nerve-wracking. I was kind of waiting for it to all sort of go off. And then the moment I, I hit the, uh, the the little button that, that sets the Patreon live and everything, I, I had a, a probably the biggest panic attack I've ever <laughs> right. ever had the joy of experiencing. And that lasted pretty much the entire weekend. Uh, right. I, I annoyed everyone in the, the d and game the next day because I was constantly checking my phone uh, mm-hmm. waiting for something dreadful to happen. Um, then Monday rolled around and I, I got to do the first episode one of the, the new series of Jimquisition and, and mm-hmm. really kickstart the week, got a review of Grand Theft Auto Five up and Escape Dead Island and then Super Smash Brothers. And, and getting back into the work habit has, has calmed me down and I'm feeling pretty good. About The occasional rush of fear and the occasional rush of, of God help me if I don't know what I'm doing. But right, right. but yeah, feeling okay now.
0: Well, so your your Patreon's up to eighty eight hundred dollars a month. That's that's not bad. That's pretty that's a pretty good amount. Um, is this uh, did you when you started this out? You must have had a number in mind that said, "Okay, anything below this, and it's just it can't happen." Um, are, are we? Are you? Are you happy with how things have gone thus far?
1: It is. It is uh, well in excess of, of anything. I, I put down a, um, and this was actually when you consider how popular Jimquisition was at the Escapist and Movie Defense Force and Uncivil War and, and all the other mm-hmm. stuff I did for the Escapist. I'd put down um, six thousand as a milestone. Uh, which right. was actually something of a pay cut for me, um, mm-hmm. just with the amount of of work I'd been doing and the the, sure. the general popularity of it. Um, although some people thought that was excessive, um, but for me, supporting a family, paying a mortgage, uh, um, taxes,
0: self employment taxes, sure. which is absolutely uh, the quarterly taxes, and yeah, insurance, all that stuff, absolutely. So
1: it. It's, it was sensible to me. I, uh, like I said, it was a milestone. I mean, it pay cut but a milestone and could have gone easily, uh, let's say easily, I could have uh, cut some corners in, in the way I do things and then got it lower. I mean, it wasn't an ultimatum. Um, but some people, I think, took it as an ultimatum. It was, it was very much this. If I hit this spot, I'll feel secure. Right. Um, lower than that, would have felt less secure, still could have made it work. Um, more than that, is uh, right now insane. <laughs> the, mm-hmm. the fact that I have sort of gone well over and above that is, is incredible and certainly frees me up to do some extra things. At the moment, we're looking into improving some of the audio visual quality of the Jimquisition um, and, and uh, stuff like that. Uh, I certainly don't want to do what... Uh, I don't want to fall into the trap of what a lot of crowdfunded projects end up doing when they get... Sort of if they get more money than they expected, and then they start overspending. Uh, right. So I'm trying to be very sensible with it. I've got an eye on some upgrades uh, to uh, my sort of technological stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I certainly can't I can't buy the talent to work it properly, but, right, right. <laughs> but I can certainly buy the, the tech. Um, and then then you know really use the, what I have to future proof myself. And, right, and, you right. know, save some stuff um, and then eventually look into perhaps uh, paying that forward and, and putting some work out for, for freelance people and, and stuff like that. Um, that's very long term. Right now, right. Uh, like I said, very blown away. Don't want to let it get to my head. Don't want to let it, let myself think I am now, you know, the richest man in the world and, <laughs> and, and right. cover myself in solid gold or anything like that. You know, trying to, right. trying to keep very level about it.
0: Right, right. Um, but what I think people don't quite understand is just how much work video is. I mean, just not, you know, kind of a, now you being your own boss and, and having to, to not just manage your own time, uh, just th- that whole aspect of it, but just doing the gym Jimquisitions itself. Because, I mean, I think that when you watch something that is – as irreverent um and and uh as as what you're doing although still serious you have the tendency to go ah that can't be that much work and there's actually a there's a lot of work that goes in uh to those pieces um so you certainly have to make sure that you're compensated you know for your time and how long does it take to do a video from kind of start to to finish
1: Uh, i'm i'm a naturally very quick worker Um, Uh and i work quicker than i think most people in the field do when i tell them How quickly I've I've got something done, they seem quite surprised. I would say, um, I mean, I normally section off uh, Friday to do it. Right. Um, I normally get done sort of, you know, start early Friday morning. I'm normally done that morning. So, you know, maybe a couple of hours to get the um, thing done from start to finish uh, when I sit down to do it. So there's preliminary stuff before that. Sure, there's all this stuff beforehand, right. Looking into the topic, choosing a topic. Right. Um, writing out the, the script for the bit that's in the middle. Um, right. Picking stuff up if I need to get anything. Um, so, the video itself, the, the editing process is a couple of hours, but the lead up to that is, is often a, a bit more intensive. And it's usually on my mind for the entire week as I kind of right. plot things out before I go and do it.
0: Right, right. Um now it's funny because I've watched these since you started and it's interesting to me how I mean especially when you were working at Destructoid you you know you you had your reviews um which definitely uh, aside from just having solid criticism to them you know they had a, the, the Jim Sterling kind of brand as it were like you always knew when you were reading a Jim Sterling review which I think is great just like you always know I think when you're reading a Tom Chick review there's certain reviewers that they have a voice and that's part of what you're reading their stuff And so I remember also reading kind of some of the one-off pieces that would take some of the uh, the publishers to task for such some of the shitty stuff they were doing. Um, And when the Jimquisition video series first started, there wasn't as much of a a consumer advocacy bent to them. Um, How did they kind of like? How did you decide to kind of focus more on that as time went on?
1: Um, Well, the um, the Jimquisition first sort of came about. Uh, during E3, I forget which year. It was the year that Project Natal officially became Connect. Um, oh, okay. And it was, I guess it was kind of fitting because the first time the, I guess the persona came about was um, me really
0: laying into Microsoft. Oh, that's right. Yes, you're right. I remember. Okay, yeah. I think that was because I, I met you very, very briefly in 2010, which was like the crackdown to E3. Right. Um, uh, I don't know if that was. I, I can't remember if that was Natal or Natal was the year later, but I remember what you're talking about because that was like Microsoft's big focus, and it was like, these games are shit. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. It was just exercise games and just shitty mini games and just like the well, Wii was, kind of all over again. I was furious,
1: and, and yeah. I think my, my my indignation set the tone for what would eventually become uh, the, the main focus of the show now because I'd um, turned up to that, wherever the hell it was. Uh, in the middle of l a um, was given a weird shirt smock oh thing, right
0: yeah uh, some weird reflective smock that 's right, and they use people as the uh, like almost like the projection screen
1: mm-hmm. that 's what really well I, I was going to say that 's what really pissed me off, but it was a bit more selfish than that that didn 't help um, so i 'm stood around for hours, I think we were in there for like two or three hours, just stood in this right. big area with Cirque du Soleil all around us um Mm -hmm. and I'm not I'm I'm not Dolph Lundgren when it comes to physical form (laughs) standing around for two hours doesn't really you you know doesn't really suit me even if you know I do get to meet people like AJ Glasser at the time and and have a lovely chat (laughs) um during this time no signs of water, any kind of hydration whatsoever. <laughs> um, so it's a room with thousands of people in it and these live men and women dressed as tigers jumping around. Um, mm-hmm. I'm getting thirsty. The show starts and goes on for I, I, what felt like another few hours. Uh, and at that point the lights come on, started reflecting on our shirts. I'm hearing from other people in the crowd that no one's allowed to report on this because MTV has an exclusive.
0: Oh, right.
1: And we're lighting up in the colors of Connect. Uh, right. The journalists, the press, the media were invited into this room to be living advertisements, walking billboards right. for Connect so that MTV could have an exclusive. And right. And I was uh, dehydrated by that point, uh, very tired, very annoyed. I left. And apparently that became a big talking point the next day. Everyone was like, Jim Sterling stormed out. Um, <laughs> I, I, I was looking for a fucking water fountain, is what I was looking for. <laughs> um, once I found it, I did promptly leave. Um, right. And then it was back at the the Black Widow Motel, which I also wasn't happy about. Um, mm-hmm. Destructoid, uh, at the time, was very seat of the pants. Um, right. We Great days. But we went to the Black Widow Motel, thus named because it was a motel with black widows in it. Um, Wonderful. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm there. Uh, Nero's there, if I recall. A bunch of other guys. Ray Gutierrez, who was the video editor guy there at the time. Um, And I was wearing aviator sunglasses because I was very self-conscious in front of a camera at the time. And that was kind of my prop, like, a you know, some stand-up comedians have a chair or a stool or something near them right. just to make themselves feel less weird. Uh, and I had those. Um, Ray Gutierrez was going to interview some of the Destructoid staff members about um, the, the Connect reveal, uh, and I was the first one. He stood next to me, had his microphone. I grabbed the microphone out of his hand and just launched this tirade yeah. at Microsoft for, uh, I think it was like five straight minutes Uh, of this wrestling promo-style thing. Uh, I don't remember a single word I said. Um, (laughs) Because, as I say, I was dehydrated and furious at the time. Um, But it did make waves for that week. And once I got back home after E3, I started that up as a thing. And at the time, the first few episodes were really going after more um, fan communities. Um, Right people that threw around words they didn't know the meaning of, like, bias and, and plagiarism and right. yeah. stuff like that. And then um, over the years, it kind of... The the stuff I used to talk about in my writing and video kind of merged as, as I phased mm-hmm. one out for the other. And Ever since the beginning at Destructoid, I'd, I'd been writing about things like the, the war on used sales that games Publishers right. had, yep. uh, region locking, and um, Nintendo of course being notorious for staggered uh, release dates around the world in a global market, and, and that just spilled over because I wrote less and less features and needed an outlet for that, um, right. so that's really how it began, and for me, what I call the real turning point was SOPA and PIPPA, the, the stuff that wanted to kill net neutrality and and, mm-hmm. yep. and, and you know, kill privacy on the internet, and how the uh, ESA backed that and refused not to. Um, after years of, of grud, uh, astroturfing us with its video game voters network and, and everything and trying to to rally gamers to protect video games in the eyes of the law and protect video games as free speech, and when the freedoms of of the actual gaming community itself was on the line... Uh, the game industry did uh, effectively bugger all. Uh, and right. I I kind of, I wrote a letter to the ESA on Destructoid, um, basically likening them to Starscream from Transformers. Because um, <laughs> uh, uh, that, that was how I saw them. Um, yeah. Just kind of sucking up to us with the Video Game Voters Network and everything, and then ditching us the moment um, right. it became just politically convenient. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's really w- what, what kind of I guess, effectively destroyed the last shred of, of starry-eyed, um, uh, I, I wouldn't say, love for the game industry. I'd say the love for the, the industry side of the industry. Right. Um, you know, I've, I've said in the past, I love games as an art form, I hate them as a business, and right. that was the real tipping point. It was already getting that way, but that was the moment it kind of snapped.
0: Right, right. Well, that that brings up a, a, a good point. Do you I mean, because you, you, you cover um, basically the kind of the shittier side of games so often and there's there's never I mean, unfortunately, you're never at a loss for topics, I would imagine. Um, does it make it difficult when it comes time to not just review games, but play games for fun to enjoy what you're doing? Um, because you kind of have in the back of your mind kind of the stuff that's all around it, or you do you focus your free time on the publishers or the developers that typically don't do this stuff so it's easier to support them? Uh,
1: if anything, I think um, being so mired in the negative sides of, of the games industry actually enhances my enjoyment of video games themselves. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I, I find that with misanthropy as well. Um mm-hmm. Having such low regard for a lot of people <laughs> lets you really appreciate the good ones, you know. When you meet right, someone who's right. who's a really cool person, and and you kind of, um, you know, various things in the political and social world get you down. Like it makes you makes you appreciate the good guys all that much more. Uh, and right. I feel the same way about video games. Uh, if I have a, a another series I do on my YouTube channel. Um, called Squirty Play, where it's kind of a right. let's play thing, where I jump in blind on the latest stuff on Steam. And Steam over the past two years has really just lost its mind yes. and, and allowed all sorts of crap to go up. And, and I, right. I get to cover most of it, um, sometimes first. Uh, I have that dubious honour of, of being right. being the kind of guy to popularize games like Earth Year 2066 and Air Control. Uh, and I, I think it's it's palpable; like you can really. Uh, hear it in my voice when I play something uh for that series that I genuinely love uh, right. and enjoy and it, it surprises me with how good it is. Uh after I've been you know, after you've been playing something uh like Slaughtering Grounds or or, or what was the latest one? Escape Dead Island um mm-hmm. yeah. uh just stuff really despicable or mundane or you know mediocre stuff. Uh when I play something like this War of Mine, which I played today uh, and, and I'm just surprised by how interesting and compelling it is. Um, I, I My joy is, is that much more, um, you know, it's a mixture of, of relief and sheer right. pleasure um, to go from something like Grass Simulator to uh, This right. War of Mine.
0: Right, right. Um, well, it is, uh, you know, getting back to Steam, it is really interesting over the years just to see kind of how that service has evolved and not, I don't know if it's necessarily in a good way. I I know that it's great that there's so many smaller games or more independent games now that um, are allowed more exposure, but um, kind of in an age where I feel like as consumers we should be even more vigilant as to how we're spending our money and what we're choosing to support. And then you seem to now have this service that almost seems at odds because there's so many ways that consumers can get screwed over by something that ends up not being finished or just isn't very good. Um, it's just really weird to see kind of how Steam um, has has changed over the past few years.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I describe Steam as the best of times and the worst of times. That, that's right. really what it is. Uh, it is an incredible platform, um, and, and I, you know, you can't take away from what it's achieved. It is. Sure. Th- no. There's a reason it's the top of the mountain when it comes to uh, not just PC distribution, but all uh, digital distribution. Really, it's the mm-hmm. model. Um, right. And, and I can't take that away. And it's it's housed some fantastic games. Like I say, right now, stuff like this War of Mines on there. Uh, I dare say, if it wasn't for the success of these games on Steam first, we wouldn't see games like Outlast or Don't Starve or what have you end up on, right. on consoles. and then. Everything. Right, absolutely. Uh, but it is also where Earth Year 2066 comes from. Uh, right. So it, <laughs> it really is this extreme, this real polarized extreme of, of some of the best stuff. Um, coming to Steam and some of the absolute worst games I've ever played. And, and I, that's not hyperbole, that's an actual right. fact. It was February of this year when I realized I already had 10 candidates for the top 10 worst games of 2014. And wow. it's not abated. I don't know what, every year on Jim Position, I do the top 10 uh, worst games of the year. And, and I don't think 10's gonna cut it. I, right. Ten or, is already taken up with early access uh, and, and other really right. dreky Steam games. There's no right. room for anything on console.
0: <laughs> There's no room for Assassin's Creed you know? No, not at right. all. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so um, I want to get back to the the move um, from from be, from a publisher to to doing your own thing. Now, when you started Jimquisition. Uh, and these videos, did, did you, when you started talking to um, different outlets to host them, did you have in mind this notion that one day you may want these things for yourself and to kind of put those those hooks in place early on? Or did those conversations really start taking place once you decided to move um, just this past you know week or month or whatever?
1: Uh, I think I imagined at the time that um, the show, I, I would keep doing the show until such time as... Uh, whoever I s- sold it to, I guess, didn't want it or, or it didn't work. And then I'd find something else to do. I mean, this is, mm-hmm. it's a tumultuous industry. Um, media, And I i described it actually, I was talking to my wife about it the other day, I described my career as a series of exit strategies. Right. Uh, it's constantly having to put, try and put down uh, safety nets and, and right. wait, like find out where the doors are. Because uh, you just never know. Like, you can wake up one morning, and then it's, we have no money. Or, you right. know, your job here isn't terrible. We, we can't afford to pay you, what what have you. Um, we've seen enough redundancies and layoffs in the industry mm-hmm. over the years to where I, I've never considered anything I have to be permanent. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, more so after Destructoid, because I always felt I'd be there forever. But, but you know, we, we, we kind of really... Um, went our separate ways philosophically uh, and, mm-hmm. and, and left on good terms. But, but after that, certainly, I was certainly a lot more jaded about the idea of, right. I'm going to work for this site, and, and I'm going to be with them forever, and, and right. we'll be the bestest of friends, and then have care-best days and everything. Um, right. So, yeah, I, I never really... I certainly didn't think that years from now, Jimquisition would be the thing. Like, right. my thing. Um, especially because after the first few episodes of The Escapist, which went over terribly... Uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I tried to destroy the show. <laughs> <laughs> right. I really I, I i didn't think it would get like I was um, contracted out to do. Uh, I think it was 21 episodes originally, mm-hmm. and I was so uh, like, jaded by the reaction. And uh, right. uh, and and I, I certainly tried to take the criticism on board, and I made big improvements to the show. And then I'm thankful mm-hmm. for the criticism I got, it's the reason the show has the look it has now, the style it has now it was all because of some really vicious criticism it got Um, but even with the changes there were a lot of people that that kind of just just really didn't want it and were petitioning to get it off the escapist and everything Uh, and and they really saw me as this kind of villainous character Uh, Mm -hmm. so I thought well there's no way this show's going to last beyond its its contracted uh, obligations I'm going to do 20 and, and there'll be no way they'll want me back and there's no way I'm I I feel encouraged to 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 do so so if they want a villain then I will be a villain and I kind of <laughs> embrace that tv tropes page uh, then let me right. be evil um, and kind of went Jamie Lannister on them and lived up to the, right. the, the thing. And then I started saying, thank God for me, and I started showing off about how wonderful I am and how I envy them. And th-
0: that's it. what I really started like. I mean, I liked it before, but when you started doing that, to me, that just, I loved it. I thought it was, I like, this guy is just like, he's just making fun of all the people who are don't like what he's doing like i thought that was brilliant the the great
1: (laughs) irony is everyone else agreed it it, (laughs) i i I often call um the jimquisition like like the jimquisition is my two greatest failures because when i tried to make everyone like it i failed and then when i tried to make everyone hate it i failed (laughs) so I, i it is the most successful failure i've ever had
0: Right, because I, I liken the Jim Sterling of the Jimquisition to the the Colbert Report, Stephen Colbert. Like, I mean, obviously, this is, uh, you know, this is an inflated personality, but there's there's a there's a there's a river, an undercurrent of truth to it in terms of, um, you know, the the heart of the issue that you're talking about from episode to episode. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, obviously, I. I it, should be prefaced with the fact that I find Stephen Colbert to be immensely more talented than I am. And, <laughs> and I certainly wouldn't want to compare myself as if to say I'm just like him. Um, right. but, but certainly stylistically, there is that, that element to it. I uh, People often ask me, like, is that how you really are? And I often say that it, it, the intro and outro, the live-action stuff, the on-camera stuff, is, is very... It's me, but, but very... Um, over the top and, and right. it extrapolates all my worst most narcissistic elements and then right. the stuff in the middle the the real meat of the show where it's me talking over footage and images and everything where I'm discussing the actual topic, that's closer to me um, right. because it is a lot more it's dealing with the issues and it's not that self-aggrandized thing to it, although it, it does slip in there sometimes when I think it's good where I think it'll be funny
0: Right, right, right um, So in terms of the the consumer advocacy stuff does it does it get frustrating or is it good because you know you always have something to talk about the continual missteps that that small medium large developers publishers make in terms of how they interact with consumers and then just kind of expect consumers to accept kind of this level of, of interaction. You know, most recently we have kind of the the weaponization, if I can steal a Ben Kachera quote, the weaponization of embargoes um that, that Ubisoft used for Assassin's Creed Unity. But and then and then even just down to various Steam maybe early access developers who are putting um you know content uh, uh what's the word when they when they petition YouTube to say you stole their stuff um uh, the content warnings or whatever they're they're called, or, or just generally kind of harassing you in general because they didn't like something mm-hmm. that that you say. Are you surpri- Are you still surprised that they continue to to do this kind of stuff?
1: Uh, it's a company by company thing. Um, very mm-hmm. few things Ubisoft uh, says and does can surprise me anymore. <laughs> uh, when when they. Especially when they, because um, a lot of these big companies, they're very they're creatures of habit. Yes. Uh, when Ubisoft, set like defends uh, DRM, you know right. that a year from now they'll apologise for their DRM. Uh, when they say DRM works, you know six months down the line they're going to say DRM never works. Um, right. When EA does something uh, that pisses everyone off and stands by it and defends it, you know that just in time for the next game to come around, they'll say how what they did back then was unacceptable. Um, they are very habit-forming, and, and some Jimquisition episodes have actually talked about the the habits they do. There's a there's one episode I did uh, not too long ago called The Cycle of Perpetuation and Apology, which right. details that of, of this doing a thing, saying sorry, doing it again. Um, so I wouldn't say I'm always surprised, but then... Every now and then, something just completely wacky happens that I couldn't have predicted. Um, But that normally doesn't come from the really big people who are kind of... Mm -hmm. They're they're too akin to lumbering dinosaurs to really shock anyone. I think we know their game by now.
0: Right, right. Well, it's interesting, I mean, that whole cycle of we're doing this and apologize... A lot of that, I think, has to do with just the, how short of a memory I think gamers or hardcore gamers in general have. Uh, like for example, right now, like, so Assassin's Creed Unity came out, people may have pre-ordered it, and then the game was, was severely hampered at launch. Well, next year, those same people will probably pre-order it again, or at least, by maybe the day it comes out, either they won't want to wait for the reviewer, or they'll say, oh, okay, well, they learned their lesson, because Ubisoft will apologize and say we learned our lesson. So from a consumer standpoint, we're not really doing anything to affect a kind of change that maybe would be needed for them to really change how they're doing things.
1: Um, I mean, that's, that's a, a fairly common argument, and I it's one I don't necessarily make myself, um, mostly for the fact that I think the consumer's responsibility begins and ends with buying what they want to buy. Um, right. That's their job in this whole thing, is to right. get the best deal they can get to get the thing they want. Um, for me, I feel that this kind of, of constant wagering of trust with the customer is, is potentially damaging long-term for companies. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's a, an issue that companies should be aware of. And then... They should be looking out for themselves as much as the customers, because I really I don't think that consumer goodwill is this infinite resource. Some some companies seem to think it is. Uh, so, it's not really the customer's job to uh, look out for companies long term. It should be the
0: company's job. Um, right, but at the same time, like if we if next year people pre order. Like, like, say Assassin's Creed, and they're willing to accept what happened this year. Does some of that responsibility fall on them for basically sending a message saying, "Hey, what happened last year was okay"? Uh,
1: I, I think in time, um, these things always. uh, I I think the goodwill is always spent. It sometimes it takes a long time. It took Mm -hmm. the Guitar Hero series a very long time for all the exploitation to happen. But eventually it happened, and eventually they killed it. Um, That was the year after they released 10 Guitar Hero games a single year. Um, Eventually this stuff happens to where it becomes... um, uh, where they they have finally traded in all the goodwill. Now, customers can be responsible, I think, for hastening that, uh, Mm -hmm. but I certainly don't blame them for the the ill behaviour of the company because I'm, I'm a big fan of blaming... Oh, no, no, I agree with you.
0: I agree with you 100%. It's it's sometimes, though, what I feel like is that, and maybe it's because when you, I think if you follow games to the degree that we do, uh, even if, if regardless of whether or not it's something you're getting paid to do, um, that kind of echo chamber happens. And so, our view of games in the industry is completely different from somebody who just if they play Assassin's Creed, they like it, they go into the store, they buy it because they see it there. So it is sometimes easy to fool yourself into thinking that this this kind of upswell of anger and irritation is going to cause a big a big change when there's millions upon millions upon millions of consumers who never see this stuff in the first place. They see a game, they buy it, they bring it home and it's kind of wonky, they go, "Oh, that sucks," and they move on with their life. Um, but at the same time, I feel like we have such a short memory when it comes to these <laughs> things. And, and again, yeah, Ubisoft, I mean, they know exactly what they're doing. Like, this is, they, they, they knew if they, if they were willing at a point to not put out watchdogs because they didn't feel that it was up to snuff. They certainly have it within their power to look at a game, make a decision on the level of quality and decide whether it's something that should go out or not. And in this situation, they decided that it was better to have it go out. Um, and I agree with you. It's the company the the, the the it falls on them. I just I get frustrated because I, I feel like I constantly hear the same complaints. And I do it too. I'll complain about something and then next time it comes out, oh yeah, okay, well, uh, I'll give it a try this time. I mean,
1: it's definitely uh, a it's definitely a thing. Uh, one, yeah. a regular comment I've often seen. Um, in fact, I saw it just today on on one video I did. Um, was as soon as this game comes out, and I buy that, then they're not getting my money, and and it's this constant thing of chasing chasing the boycott. Uh, right. Yes. They're gonna boycott a company just after this last game. Right. Just one right. more. Let let the division come out, and then Ubisoft can go screw itself. Right. Um, right. And then obviously right. that's uh, by the time that that game comes out, they've forgotten why they were mad. Uh, right. But, and so there, there definitely is an element of that. Uh, but at the same time, I feel I I don't often feel the boycotts themselves are necessarily the right way to go. Mm. Uh, I it was a rather early position at least early um, of the, the escapist ones, where I said that uh, I don't think boycotts necessarily work, certainly not as well as a good old-fashioned tantrum. Uh, right, Because right. I feel that even though sales are obviously the big thing, the, 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 the bottom line, the money, the actual dollar value is the most important thing to a company. Um, PR certainly is still a major thing. It's a, it's a major yes, currency. Yeah. And I think companies do worry when that's threatened, even while they're making big sales. There's a reason why Ubisoft comes out to apologize for things, even though it it could get away with not doing it. There's a reason why there's this cycle of doing a thing and saying sorry, uh, because the goodwill is important. And there's a reason why Electronic Arts, as powerful as it is, as much money as it makes gets a bit whiny and stroppy when it wins the worst company in America reward. And right. why Peter Moore like will write a blog and, 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 and make these really passive aggressive complaints about right. winning it is because right. they do, they do care when there's bad press. Uh, and I right. find that way more valuable than, you know, a, a comparative handful of people not buying the latest Assassin's Creed um, right. as a customer you really do have the freedom to have your cake and eat it, too. You can you right. complain about a game while it, playing it. Um, I don't think it makes you a hypocrite, uh, necessarily, uh, especially because, as I say, I think the PR side of it is way more valuable in this kind of situation than, than your $60 not appearing on their balance sheets uh, alongside the millions of $60 purchases that were there. Right, right.
0: So, uh, getting back to the, this uh, Assassin's Creed thing, so now we have Kotaku. Basically, they're saying, okay, we're no longer going to abide by these kind of release day embargoes in terms of you know once once the game the day the game's out, we're gonna we're gonna throw a review up regardless of whether or not the embargo is at midnight, at six p.m. Um, do you do you ever feel as if um, do do you see uh, any any sort of change in terms of how? Um, games media approaches these consumer issues. I mean, I know you you've been doing this for a while, and I would have to say you're you're definitely one of the strongest, if not the strongest voice in terms of talking about these issues. In terms of consistency, I mean, because you're you know kind of week in week out, you're talking about these things, whereas other companies tend to approach them when they flare up. Um, but at the same time, I kind of feel like, and maybe it's just because it's happening recently, the relationship between the the, the gaming press and some of these large publishers is kind of turning in a way away from the the companies and maybe more towards the, the um, what might be the best decision for the consumer. Am I being delusional or are you seeing, do you feel like any of that is changing too? Or
1: I feel like there might be, I've felt for a long time that um, that the relationship between the media and the reader and the, the, I guess the gamer, although I, I hesitate to use that just because I, I, it, putting games media and gamers as two separate species is kind of erroneous yeah. because, I mean, what's a game reviewer? It's it's a gamer that got lucky, uh, really. Um, so, I almost spit my tea out a little <laughs> <of> <fridge. laughs> um, So I, I've, I've felt for a, many years, um, and I've certainly been part of it. I mean, I've, I've misunderstood various complaints before, Um and, and kind of been too adversarial sometimes. Um, but there, there often has been this adversarial nature between games media and, and the audience, and I, 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 I am certainly sensing that in some areas that's changing. Um, I think the rise of personalities within games media, especially as we see in video content, YouTube especially, um, yep. has altered some of that, because rather than this faceless outlet uh, being right. the, the coverer, people are there. You know, you've got... Right. Um, you know your turtle biscuits, your PewDiePie's even, your, yeah. um, like Omwrecker and Northern Lion and all these guys, and, and I guess yep. m- increasingly myself um, are there as people, uh, and and right. their name, their face, their voice attached to the thing, and gives it gives them a more of a direct line to the the people, uh, and and I think with Kotaku, um, Kotaku has been more and more. Um, presenting itself as a collection of individuals rather than a a single entity. Uh, So it kind of makes sense. And and I believe both Kotaku and uh, the aforementioned Turtle Biscuit have have done this this saying no to Ubisoft's policies and any similar policies. Uh, And, yeah, I think certainly a lot of games media are getting a bit fed up with um, a lot of the way they've been treated. And I think, again, uh, YouTube, I believe, should enjoy a lot of credit for that.
0: Oh, absolutely! Because
1: it really has shown the power of, um, of, uh, of 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 a personality with a big audience who get to right. now. And I've wanted this balance of this the shift in power for a long time, um, because I, I years ago I, on Destructoid I used to complain about how publishers had way too much power and they can be, never re, never be real games journalism while PR holds all the cards. Um, right. But now we get people who are completely unfettered, completely unchained by the normal system that PR has erected. This, you know, they, they crafted a really nice little environment for themselves they over did. the years, and yeah. now voices outside of that environment have just as much access and comparatively more power. And I right. think it's everyone. I'm going to say everyone, because there's always going to be some people who play by the rules in the hope of getting a, an advantage, but uh, certainly a lot of uh, the old guards have finally woken up, I feel, and, and realized that, hey, we don't have to do things the way it's always been done. Uh, right. So, I mean, with regards to the, the recent policy about um, not covering reviews like that, I'm certainly interested to see how that works, whether that will put yeah. the pressure in the right place. My fear is that uh, you get enough outspoken critics doing it it'll encourage companies to do it even more because it's like, well, right. shit, if, if, if Jim Sterling and Total Biscuit and then all these, um, you know, the guys who are more harsh, you know, if Quarter to Three doesn't uh, cover our game if we don't give it to them um, before Tuesday, fuck it, let's just give it to everyone on Tuesday uh, and then right. get them completely out of the equation. Uh, the cynic in me worries it'll go that way, but again, as I say, this is a whole, it's a PR game at the end of the day and and. It would be better PR, I feel, to not do what Ubisoft just did or, or what Sega did with Sonic Boom. Uh, so hopefully, uh, the, the pressure goes the right way there.
0: Right. Well, it's funny because uh, THQ they they always they were famous for doing the opposite. Whereas, oh, if you're going to give this game, you know, better than a better than an 80 on Metacritic, you could release your review, you know, a couple days early and no one really, I mean, uh, you know, from a consumer standpoint, I don't think anybody ever blinked at that and went, oh, hey, I wonder, you know, what a coincidence that only (laughs) these really good reviews came out three, four days early. And then what that PR machine ends up doing is it trains the consumer to think that if a game does not have early reviews, it's not any good, uh, and then... um, you know, obviously there's some outliers. I think the the Arkham games always they always had kind of launch day um, embargoes, but um, but yeah, I remember back back when I used to write about games, is THQ would kind of do that that shit all the time, where you know you had to have an 85 on Metacritic or an 88 on Metacritic or something in order for them to to release uh, yeah. for you to publish review. I only your ever got early. that off
1: for once. Yeah, it was. Um, I didn't even review it. It was. Um, Oh was it?
0: Some UFC game. They used to do it more to the, like, we. Uh, the site I wrote for, GameShark, was a much smaller site, and they typically did it for the smaller sites, you know, who who were a lot more, um, you know, d- definitely, I don't want to say struggling, but they were fighting for smaller pieces of the, the pie key, in terms of page views. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um Well, but, but kind of getting back to YouTube and PR, well, now kind of having PR, you know, you can definitely see how they're kind of trying to worm their way into that by saying, oh, hey, can we do some sort of sponsored content type of that type of thing? So, you know, they're certainly not sitting back and just going, OK, well, this is fine. Let's see how this shakes out. They're definitely making mm-hmm. trying to make inroads into that. So I think you know, be very important for both creators and consumers to kind of know, have a level, not have a level of transparency there to know, okay, this person that's talking about this, you know, what are they getting for it? If anything, you know, what's their, you know, is this take a genuine take or is there some, some invisible hand of PR behind it? That's kind of pulling the the knobs and the levers.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've covered some of this. I, you know, I covered the, the shadow of Mordor brand stuff and, um, I do that mostly out of sheer respect for what youtubers have done for games media, uh, yeah. because I don't want to see them get no. trapped in the system that the old media got trapped in uh, right. I can already see the scaffolding be mm-hmm. become erected by publishers to build their nice their new little thing, fiefdom and and right. I really I don't want to see it happen um so i I certainly hope it won't and i But more and more you see YouTubers get invited to the same press junkets, the same uh, preview events, uh, get offered sponsorship deals. And and it's even easier for it to happen here because a lot of YouTubers, I guess quite rightly, don't consider themselves journalists. Uh, Don't consider it a a breach of any trust to do these things. Um, And they already have the trust of the people because they're people's people. Uh, uh, Games journalism, for want of a better term, doesn't... Uh, certainly doesn't have um, all of the trust in the world, no, and no. YouTubers quite smartly, in, in you know from from where I'm looking at things, capitalized on that in a few ways and became absolutely by the people for the people. But it's that same people's people uh, persona and attitude that allows publishers an even greater opportunity for exploitation because they've already got that, that automatic trust and grace period stuff. Yes. Um, yeah. So they can just slip right in and 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 exploit that, and and that worries me. And and but uh, to uh, their credit, uh, most YouTubers, uh, certainly the ones I I get to talk to, like on Wrecker and Boogie, and and that sort of those sort of guys, uh, are huge on disclosure, um, right? And and let you know. Upfront, if something's been um, uh, paid for and and, and whatnot. Um, personally, I have the certainly you know it's a big reason why I've, I've gone completely solo. Uh, I'm not a, a fan of sponsorship deals personally. I'm, I don't judge anyone who does, provided of course they're upfront about it. Uh, but for me, I, I've been offered. Uh, let me think. Three, say three this year um, wow. potential sponsorship deals. Um, nothing for video games, actually. One was for Dumb and Dumber Two, uh, one was for uh, Felicia Day Show, and I think there was another. Um, and my my general policy is is um, blanket ignorance of those things. Just just you know, right. I don't I don't go in for it. Uh, and right. and that's you know that's uh, that's just my policy, and I certainly don't want everyone else to do it. You know, you got to do what you got to do. You know, right. people have to make money and and. However they do, but just as long as it's upfront and honest is is all you can really ask. And I just, I, just, I really hope that, that the YouTube world doesn't become what the, I'd say, the, the old guard of games right. media became. I don't want to see that, that really publisher-friendly environment. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean because you know, or you don't want to see all the ads for you know a particular game on there when they're talking about that game, and then you have to question, you know, uh, where where things are uh, in terms of where their their money is coming from. Um, Getting back to reviews, I'm I'm glad to see uh, the the the, the reviews up on um, the Jimquisition. One of the things that I've always liked about And I talked about this before is uh, so you have a a particular style, but oftentimes your your opinion goes um, against, um, I guess, what would be considered common opinion. Um, And I have seen at times you labeled, you know, like you're doing it just because that, uh, you know, that that's either to get page views. And I know that everybody does get that gets that to a certain degree. But working for with Tom Chick at quarter to three, I mean, he's oftentimes labeled a contrarian, which he he. Someone bristles at because that implies that you're being against uh, uh, popular opinion for the sake of, of being against um, popular opinion. Do you do you still like? Do you still kind of bristle at that notion, or, or have you kind of heard it enough now to where it doesn't even bother you anymore?
1: I get very. I mean, I've done this for about eight years now, and I'm so bored of of the <laughs> accusations. I mean, every time a big review controversy happens. I see yeah. the same arguments, the same people on yeah. one side calling for an objectivity, the same people on the other side saying reviews are just opinions. I've seen this for so long, so many years, right. so many times. Uh, I do get really tired of it um, for the vast majority of the time. And especially, what really makes me laugh is I get paid either way, or I did. Right. Um, you know, the escapist and destructive day. The only show, uh, well, the, the show, the only content, uh, the the. I was paid for according to views was the stuff that no one ever accused me of being clickbaity with. Like, <laughs> there's the gym position, uh, movie defense force, you know, the videos, um, right, right. you know, uh, which is common. You know, it's the same on with ads on YouTube and stuff. You know, sure. the more people watch, the more it's worth. Uh, and and so reviews, well, I've always had a a flat rate for it. It's right. it, it's my day job. It was my salary right. job. Uh, made no difference to me. It could get viewed five hundred times or five thousand or fifty thousand. um Never mind the fact that the most viewed reviews, certainly at Destructoid uh were some really positive, not really very controversial ones right um yep. People generally cared more about what they thought of the game rather than you know whether or not this review was famous for disliking something. Uh, I think the most popular review I ever did uh, at Destructoid was my one for Skyrim, uh, which was, uh, you know, incredibly positive and and didn't really annoy anyone. Um, So, yeah, it's generally the negative reviews were not especially popular. I mean, they were popular, but they weren't more popular than anything else. It was really the game that was the star of the show. Uh, The more popular the game, the more... People wanted to read reviews for it. Um so it really didn't make a difference to me one way or the other whether I liked the game or not. The only difference it made was, was how how many annoyed tweets I got from people. Right. Um which, you know, I'm kind of glad I don't read Twitter replies anymore. Um, and and with this new venture, uh I, there really isn't a reason at all to, for those accusations to happen anymore. Um, right. You know, Jimquisition.com, no, the Jimquisition, don't go to Jimquisition.com uh, because it's full of hentai. Um, <laughs> the uh has no ads on it. Uh, I, because I'm absolutely, I have no understanding of technology. I don't even know what the page views are for anything individually there. <laughs> Uh, so it really makes no difference to me um so whether I like something or dislike something, the page views don 't matter because uh the audience i 'm serving uh is already there uh because right. they 've already um, contributed and helped me produce the content uh, so i i don 't need to draw a million views to a review uh right and and so that certainly helps remove that that appearance of conflict as well which which is good
0: yeah well i know i got uh tired of of hearing the same oh jim you're gonna review of Assassin's creed this year i can't imagine what uh <laughs> what it must have been like for you <laughs> year yeah. after year um but uh so so um I know uh, we, we need to uh, wrap things up. I want to say thank you for, for joining me. It's been a, a great time talking to you. I, like I said, I've been a big fan of your work, and I'm really, uh, really jazzed um, to see uh, the Jimquisition uh, kind of take off. So just so that people um, can get the full lowdown on how they can uh, find your Patreon, support it, and then um, all the, the – um, the relevant uh, details in terms of where they can find you. Uh, You want to run, run through that for folks? Sure. Uh,
1: Yeah. If you want to look at the Patreon, uh, no pressure or anything, like I say, it's a kind of a, what I like to call a, a, a highly optional customizable, customized, customizable. customizable, There's the word. (laughs) I like to say it. I can't say it. It's a highly optional, a very customizable subscription. Um, You don't have to pay anything at all. Uh, to get all of the content. There are no tiers. There's no rewards. There's, uh, it's very much people pay if they want. If enough people do cool, free market, all of that stuff. If enough people don't, or so not enough people do free market again, I get the message. Um, but that's at uh, patreoncom slash Jimquisition. So look up the Jimquisition on Patreon and you can see all the details of, of what I'm doing. And um, and that covers the, the popular, um, web series The Gymquisition, um as well as a, web, a review website, thejimquisition.com uh, and there will also be a weekly podcast, which hopefully I'll get to kickstart uh, next week. And when I say kickstart, I mean that in the traditional sense. I'm not putting it on kickstarter. Um, mm-hmm. So that'll be that's kind of a three-pronged product uh, that, that I'm kind of selling, I guess. Uh, and... The Jimquisition is also viewable on my YouTube channel where I have some other stuff, uh, other video series I do, kind of everything video content wise goes there, and that's Jim Sterling, uh, slash YouTube, slash Jim Sterling, uh, so that's that's it, that's uh, Patreon, slash Jimquisition com, and YouTube, slash Jim Sterling and, and that's all of my uh, all of my wares that I'm hawking on the internet these days
0: Very nice, and do you have, um, do you have folks lined up to, to do the podcast with you? Uh, that's uh, an interesting matter because
1: I've. It, it's technically the easiest thing, the podcast. Sure. Um, but that's what's making it hard is because I have so many potential options. Right. And I can only pick just one, or I could pick a different one every week, or, right. or I could do none of them, or all of them. Like, it, it's real kid in a candy store uh, stuff at the moment. I've certainly got some names I'd, I'm interested in talking to and seeing if they're up for it, um, but right now I'm kind of. I've got nothing set in stone because once I make a decision, then the decision has to be made. And right now sure. I'm enjoying, uh, having literally anything like the, the sheer possibility right. of, of not just the podcast, but, but everything right now is, is very, it's as exciting as it is scary because really I could, I feel like for the uh, first time in my career, I could literally do anything at the moment.
0: Well, that's awesome. Uh, well, once again, thank you so much for joining us and uh, I wish you, um, uh, the, the, the best of luck with uh, with the gymquisition and, um, and the Patreon and uh, I, I hope uh, all the best for you. Thank you very much. Uh, so everyone, thank you so much for joining us. I honestly don't know what the schedule is going to be for Thanksgiving. Uh, you know how we do things here. It is up in the air, but what is not up in the air is my appreciation that you all took some time Uh, to spend with me this week and I look forward to spending some more time with you if not in two weeks then three weeks or whatever so uh, this has been uh, myself Brandon uh, for the quarter to three games podcast and again thank you for joining us and good night and have a good evening